abundance. You know, what does that really mean to be abundant? I learned very on that abundance was not just about having money. You know, I had tons of wealth on Wall Street, but I felt completely broke and broken. What equates to more life satisfaction is actually living a fulfilling life, which is being in the flow, doing what you love to do, performing at your best, having a purpose and feeling your best at the same time. When you have that, that's total freedom. That's eternal. And that's real abundance. Welcome to the Path Podcast. I'm Mike Salemi. I believe that uncharted trails make the best life stories. So take a deep breath, put one foot in front of the other, and trust the ground under your feet. Join me in discussions on health, performance, business, leadership, and spiritual self-mastery because these topics are windows into how well each of us have learned to trust our own path. Let's go. This is a Soul Fire production. Today on the show, we're bringing back Jason Picard. This is the second time we've had Jason on the show. And in today's episode, we dive into the topic of abundance. Now, Jason has a new program coming out very soon called The Abundance Archetype. And if you recall anything from our first show, you'll recall that Jason had a high level of success in the world of Wall Street. But unfortunately, at the same time, he was incredibly overweight and sick. And he's gone through his own hero's journey multiple times over in order to build him up into the man he has with a wealth of experience, a wealth of wisdom. He's worked with truly some of the greatest teachers from around the world. And so in today's podcast, we go over many things. However, we begin uncovering the eight steps to his abundance archetypes. And what I love so much about our conversation is that not only does he share a bunch of anecdotes, does he share a bunch of personal experience, but he actually gives you a bunch of practical tools that you can utilize at home and even as you're listening to the show. So get ready. We're going to dive right in with Jason Picard. I hope you enjoy this one. Connected to something that you said earlier about just being grateful for where you are and having this amazing space for you, for your family. Connected to today's conversation, one of the things that I'm curious about is when you were young, and I know you do a lot of dream work. Yeah. Was the dream that you are living now for your life. Did you have this specific dream when you were when you were young? Did you see yourself being the kind of man that you are in the home that you are with the family? Or when did that really start coming to life for you? Yeah, you know, well, we, we, we've talked, you and I've talked, and especially in our first podcast about the power of our earliest childhood memories. Mm-hmm. So if anyone listened to our first episode, they, they, they would have picked up on the whole concept of how our earliest childhood memories or our earliest childhood dreams that we remember are like this treasure chest of information. They hold sort of the keys to our life. They hold our core wounds and our core powers. And they, they kind of hold the secret that we can unlock to any of life's most challenging problems. So just to refresh on that, one of my earliest childhood memories was coming home at seven years old with my first report card giving it to my mom, expecting I was going to get a reward. She said, ah, this is not really kind of what I was expecting. And I flipped out and I threw myself in the air and I hit my head on a big flower pot and I cracked the pot, cracked open my skull and had to get rushed to the hospital to get stitches. So ultimately, to answer your question, what I identified with through most of my life was that the reward comes from that report card, mm. seeking that grade, trying to do the best in school, 
entering into Wall Street where I have a, a report card every second, only to find that 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 drive was just it was insatiable. I never could actually feel the life that I wanted to feel. I could never really feel full from that because it was really it was really a sense of appreciation coming from outside of myself that from somebody else's grade. I became the best students of countless teachers, but ultimately that never really filled me up. So the way though to look at that, which is quite interesting is you look at the more secondary parts of the dream or the parts that are missing. So for me, what I found was that falling back, that surrendering and letting go and opening up my mind from cracking into the pot was ultimately what led me to the nourishment and to the ideas of, of how I'm living now. But I had to go through all of the trials of seeking that report card, which had a lot of gifts to it because it drove me to the, to the success that it drove me to, but also it drove me to 330 pounds and nearly mm-hmm. dead. And so once I integrated that secondary part, that falling back, that letting go, that, re- that, that becoming the mother in the dream, and finding my own ways to nourish myself and give my, myself appreciation. Then I can kind of step into, you know, this dream that I wanted now. But no, I mean, before I met Paul Check, before I had these life tra- transformations, I never had any of these visions of wanting to do any of the stuff I'm doing now. It was all about wanting to be, you know, the biggest badass trader, make the most money and live the highest life I could in New York City and all that. That's the only place that I wanted to go. But that ultimately led me into sort of a dark hole to be honest. So it's been, a, it's been an evolution, but it's fascinating for me to look back at that childhood dream and really understand that inside of that moment was, the, was sort of, here's where your life's going to go. Here's what your gifts are. Here's what could work out for you. Here are the challenges, but then here are, here are the solutions as well. Learning to trust and learning to surrender and let go of that achievement-oriented life really brought me more into this place of, of grace and, and, and happiness and what I, what I would call true abundance and true success. And just one more thing on that, which I find is interesting and, and why I developed my course, The Abundance Archetype. When I was on Wall Street, I was going for that report card. When I retired from Wall Street in 2019, I wanted to get rid of that person. I was like, I don't want to be that trader dude anymore. He's nuts. All he cares about is money. I want to go complete esoteric, spiritual, you know, holistic life coach, shamanism, biogeometry, yoga, all of these things. And then I explored them even more deeply than I had over the previous 15 years, getting certified in countless things, only to realize that my life's mission and my life's purpose and, and what ultimately led to my feeling the level of satisfaction and fulfillment I do today was the integration of the two. I could not let either of those parts die. I could not be just the Wall Street guy and not have any of these other practices. When I gave that up and I went fully into the surrendering and the the more esoteric fields, that wasn't it. And I got led to finding a way to integrate all of my skills and talents. What I learned from the titans of Wall Street, all of the success secrets from all those years of generating wealth, combined with everything that I learned in all of those more surrendering type practices, and that's ultimately what led to the abundance archetype, which is the course that I'm bringing out into the world now. So 
I'm glad you brought that up because this whole concept of dreaming and our earliest childhood dreams really have the clues. It's right there under our nose. We just have to, to turn and engage with it. Well, you touched on something super powerful that really resonates with me and in a different way, but very similar, the, the underlying thread of the theme that you went through is exactly something that honestly, I'm still going through right now and finding my own way through it where, I mean, me and you first met, of course, through Paul Czech, but through movement, you know, we worked together, Bulgarian bag, kettlebells, Eldoas, that sort of stuff. And then my heart was really calling me to men's work and more of heart-centered work. And so there was almost, I don't know if I want to say resented parts of myself, but I wanted to disconnect. I didn't want to be known as just the kettlebell guy. And so I almost shunned that part away and then went fully more into men's work and spirituality and inner work. And then now I'm finding my way back. And, and you're exactly right. Like the medicine is how do we integrate both parts and what I, what I really love what you said, and I'd love for you to touch on is, you know, if people viewed you from the outside, especially when you were in Wall Street, like I imagine like myself, I would say this dude's living a really abundant life. But as you touched on, you know, there's, um, that's not the whole picture that's going on. And so the Jason of today, how would you define abundance and what does it mean to you? Yeah. And if I could just touch on what you just said before that real quick, I think it's kind of cool and interesting. What I found through that integration of looking at that more primary process of the trader with the more secondary process of the holistic life coach, and then the integration of the two was that, and this, 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 I'm, I'm telling you this so you can reflect on this on, on your own process with the kettlebells and the men's groups and, and the podcasts and all that. What I found was that actually behind all of those identities was a process, like something that was verbing happening that was moving through all of that, that was actually consistent. When I was a kid, I loved drumming and magic. When I was a fame, you know, when I was a, a big Wall Street trader, what made me good was tapping into the rhythm of the markets. And anytime I would create these like hundreds of millions of dollars of profits from ideas that came out of my head, it was like this huge magical aha moment, like poof, like where did this come from, you know? When I started doing therapy and coaching work, I realized that what made me a good coach was that I helped people create rhythm and ritual in their life. And anytime I dropped a piece of knowledge on them and I saw their eyes lit up, it gave me that same feeling of that aha moment. And that's essentially the same thing that I'm doing now in my course. So kind of what I would ask you in that situation was, when you leave these identities, it can feel like a death. When I left trading, it felt like, ah, that was who I was and I'm leaving this whole thing behind. But what I realized, which, you know, was not overnight, it was a whole process of, you know, there's a whole grief cycle when you leave an identity like that. That's almost like a mini death. A part of yourself is dying. And when I work through that, I realized, oh, I'm not, I'm, yeah, I'm leaving the trader. But what I actually loved about trading wasn't being the trader. It was that I, I got to live these processes that were with me my whole life that are still with me. And I'm just integrating more and more layers on top of that. So when, you know, if for you, it was movement, you express movement through kettlebell. And then when you, when you're working with men's group, it's how to, how can men maybe move their emotions? And now with the path, you're creating movement in people's life towards their dreams, you know, strengthening your body in kettlebells, strengthening your heart with men's group. 
and strengthening your spirit with the path, for example. So I just wanted to say that because I don't feel like we're ever leaving these things behind. It's it, The problem is that we're identifying with the role instead of the process that's moving through it. That's super helpful, man. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I, uh, I completely agree. And when you said, uh, you know, I support men through moving or giving them the opportunity through the containers to move their emotions, like that, like I lit up on the inside because that's exactly what happens. And movement is just, uh, it represents, you know, it can be applied to so many different areas. And that's one of the things that I've really realized is oftentimes people show up thinking that it's going to be more physical movement that it is. And then they start really tuning into, holy shit, this is so much more expansive than I originally thought. And that's absolutely the heart of the underlying theme. And so what I, what I would think that you, that you really love the most about kettlebells was probably more, so, more about the process of movement, the process of exploring the, the, the depths and the edges of yourself and realizing what is your fullest potential as a human being. And not so much about, you know, how many clean and jerks can I do or, or <laughs> any one of those particular exercises Yeah, more than the, the process, the underlying process, the dream that was pulsing through you that probably, probably was there from when you were a kid and is still there in the men's group. It's still there in your podcast. It's still there in your parenting. And it's, it's, that's, that's who you are way more than any one of those roles. That's so true. And, and what's also coming up too is, you know, that, that whole journey, which is still going in some respect, connected me to people like you. And so one of the things that's come up is like following that dream and that passion for as long as it was connected me to, at a much deeper level, Paul Check to use to some of my closest friends now. And so if you take that part of my life or that part of my dream out of the equation, you actually take some of the most nourishing relationships that I have today. Yeah. That's our dream line. And in process work psychology, Arnold Mandel says, it's like a quantum pilot wave. It's like a wave driving through our life from birth to death. In fact, he studied many, many countless, probably hundreds or thousands of people at the moment of their death. And often their childhood dream or their first childhood memory or, or a similar type experience comes back up at the moment of death. It's almost like we're a dream that started before this lifetime that's dreaming into this body and it takes us through and beyond. And I think the extent that we can live that dream each day and beyond that dream line each day, it makes our life more fulfilling and easier. So we don't have to face at the moment of death, what we didn't do for the last, you know, 80 plus years or whatever our lifespan is. Wow. Amazing, bro. Now bringing it back to abundance abundance, and yeah. connecting it to how would you define abundance? What does it mean to you today? Yeah. Thank you. So, you know, I'm glad you asked that because one of the big things I had to do in this course was think about these words. I, I do a lot of, of podcasting and conversations about how we throw around words like God, spirituality, surrender, suffering. I mean, the list goes on, you know, transcendental. What do these things mean? <laughs> right? What do they mean? You know, oh, it's all one, you know, uh, unity consciousness. I don't know what that means. You know, I want to know what these things mean. For me, you can ask a thousand people, what is God? And good luck getting the same answer, you know? 
The, the reality is, is that I'll just touch on that before we get to abundance, just so I can frame this, is that we're using English, which is an object-based language. It's really good for explaining things in the material world. But we're, what we're trying to talk to, talk about are subjects that don't come from here. When we're saying we're spiritual, we're saying we're not really from here. We identify with something from somewhere else. And we're trying to use words from here to describe that. And so it's sort of like, it's not our fault that we can't do it. Other, other languages that are more developed around, you know, symbolic, lang- symbolic multidimensional languages and languages that have better words to describe states and stages of consciousness and individuation, um, like Sanskrit, for example, are much better at describing those things. But English doesn't ha- really have that. So we throw around these words. But in that same vein, abundance, you know, what does that really mean to be abundant? You know, I had tons of wealth on Wall Street. I was 26 years old. I was a millionaire. I was flying around on private planes, but I felt completely broke and broken. So I learned very on that abundance was not just about having money. In fact, a lot of the, the studies by Mihai Csikszentmihalyi and the flow research shows that once people have a baseline of money, once you have your survival needs met, mm. that actually more money does not equate to more life satisfaction. What equates to more life satisfaction is actually living a fulfilling life, which is being in the flow, doing what you love to do, performing at your best, having a purpose and feeling your best at the same time. That actually leads to life satisfaction. So in that vein, I looked, one of the things that really helps me is looking at etymological dictionaries. When you look at etymological dictionaries, you can get down to the roots of words. And it's like this fun little puzzle game where you can be like, oh, that's what that means. Ah, it's like you can just see it a little bit differently and how language gets continuously distorted and how much linguistic drift there is. You know, you go around this country from state to state, people are saying words completely differently. If you look at English 400 years ago or, you know, Shakespearean times, you could barely even understand it, (laughs) right? They call it old English. That wasn't that long ago. You know, it was like a a pimp on an elephant compared to the history of the world, right? So we're having all this linguistic drift. But when I looked at abundance, it came from the root word unda, U-N-D-A. I was like, that's interesting. And then Unda comes from the Deva or sort of like the God, that's not the right word, but the personified law of nature or the spirit of water, the ancient spirit of water, the intelligence behind water. You know, some people think, oh, water is just water. Well, that's a pretty ignorant thing to say. If you look at the work by Masuro Omoto and the hidden messages in water or anything about structuring water, you find out that water is alive and it's full of energy information. And there's an intelligence behind the water. So abundance is coming from this intelligence in water. And then it led me to, to the realization that, well, not only our earth, but our bodies are 80% water. And so abundance is literally under us. We're looking out at the outside world, the objects of what we're looking at. And we're seeking this, you know, we have this scarcity mindset that, we want more and more and more, but the reality is the scarcity mindset is the problem is that what we're, we're thinking fulfills that scarcity is on the outside. <laughs> mm. But paradoxically, we have to do a reversal from looking at the objects out in matter to us being us, the subject, becoming the object of our search. 
And so this abundance is unto us. It's flowing with us. It's our fluidity. It's our flow. And that creates affluence and fluency. And so what I found was that abundance is really the the ability to flow with life. The peak of abundance is that no matter what life throws at you, good or bad, pain or pleasure, because we often cannot, we cannot determine what's going to happen to us in a lot of situations, right? In the Bhagavad Gita, they say the complexities of karma are, are inconceivable. Like things can happen to us from hundreds of lifetimes before <laughs> that we just can't control. You know, we just can't control. There's only so much that we can control and we can't control the outcome of our actions. So abundance is being able to flow with whatever happens that you know who you are. You know, your authentic self, you stay true to your values, your, your true nature. You stand up for yourself and you don't let whatever happens to you, whatever the circumstances are, knock you off your mood, give you, you know, change your attitude, change your vibe, ruin your frequency, you know, that no matter what life throws at me, I know who I am. I know I'm a divine being having a human experience and I know what's important to me and nothing can change that. When you have that, that's total freedom. That's what they call moksha. That's liberation. And one of the examples I give about that is in Viktor Frankl's book, A Man's Search for Meaning. He talks about Jews being walked into the gas chambers. I think I mentioned this to you before. But as the Jews are being brought into the gas chambers to their imminent death, many of them were singing and dancing. Mm. And Viktor Frankl was torn up about this. He, he could not figure out how could that be? It was like so challenging for them. How are they singing songs that were saying yes to life when they're being brought to their death? And when I reflected on this, because it shook me pretty hard too, I realized mm. that is abundance. Mm. That no matter what life is throwing at you, no matter what the circumstances are, as you're being walked in, even to your imminent death, you're saying yes to life and your life. When you have that, that's abundance. That is true abundance. Nobody can ever take that away from you. Money you can lose. Time you can lose. Energy you can lose. Relationships you can lose. You're going to lose your looks. Your car is going to get a ding in it. Everything in this world fades away. But when you are locked into that, that's eternal. And that's real abundance. Wow, thank you for sharing that, Jason. That's that's really powerful. And hearing that, one thing that comes up in, in your life, are there moments or are there times where that scarcity mindset or the, a lack mentality, does that ever arise in you? And, and if so, you know, how long does it last? And how do you navigate yourself through that today? Oh, hell yeah. It's every single day, man. Yeah. Every single day I have to wake up and remind myself of that truth. Wow. Every single day. You know, we have something like 50 billion cells in our body that are dying each day and being reborn. What we ate yesterday for, for breakfast is, is our arm cell today. <laughs> and, you know, and one of the things that I learned that's really helpful is remembering that all of those new cells need to be informed about what that state is that you're trying to accomplish. They're, all, they're like these baby virgin cells. And you have to establish yourself each day as the mayor of the city of your body. 
and wake up in the morning and say, all right, guys and girls, let's go. This is how we're going to do it. This is our attitude. This is how we're going to set it. We're going to chant. We're going to breathe. We're going to exercise. This is what we're creating today. And honestly, it's a moment to moment practice. And it's it never, I, I think it's a daily thing. You have to wake up and you have to say, all right, soldiers, this is what's this is where we're going. This is this is the vibe we're holding. And no matter what happens, we're gonna stick to that. And then every single time, you know, you just try to catch yourself like in a meditation where you, you know, you you're wandering off and you go back to the breath, back to the breath, back to the breath. And you keep having to do that. But yeah, I, I'm I I totally have that, you know thinking about, you know, how many people are going to take this course or how many likes I'm going to get on a post or, you know, all of that kind of silliness. And it's, it's, those are constant little, um, belief systems that I'm, I'm still working on today for sure. I'm so grateful that you shared that. And already like the feeling within me hearing that felt like, you know, almost like a, a backpack just fell off my back of a weight that I've been carrying for a long time. And I imagine people resonate too who are listening because the trap is for me and I imagine others as well is we, we think like when we get there or there's this end destination uh, to whatever it is, abundance or achievement or whatever. And this reminder that every single day is an opportunity to remind us back to that. And just hearing you once again, someone who I love, respect and admire as a friend and, and as a leader in the space, it's really refreshing to hear that that's something and, and it, and it makes sense, but sometimes, uh, uh, easier said than done, let's yeah, just say, but for sure. I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. One of the things that helped me too on that is this idea that yoga taught me about that we have multiple lifetimes, you know, hmm. whether or not that's true or not, imagine holding a one lifetime worldview versus a multiple lifetime worldview. A one lifetime worldview is like, all right, Mike, I'm going to put you on this, on this, <laughs> on this high wire you're going to go up, you know, to the top of the uh, Empire State Building and walk on a high wire from this building to the next, and you have one tr- one shot at it. And if you fall, you're dead. That's what is a one lifetime worldview, and we're we're essentially walking around with that level of of anxiety all the time. On top of the fact that we feel like we have to get it all now, mm-hmm. we need it all now. We have to pull. You know, who cares how much we pull from the earth? Because we're we're it doesn't matter. We have to experience it all now. And there's a paradox with this because when you believe in a multiple lifetime, it takes that pressure off that this particular hand we have now with this life, this body, this skin, this wealth, that this is, this is only one of many roles we've played. And we're here for a particular growth and discovery. And it's not because we've been punished. It's because this is the particular cause and effect that we've actually created and that we need to grow and learn. And it takes off this pressure of having to do everything now and feeling like we're missing out, this, this FOMO, this fear of missing out on everything. But the paradox that I've learned is that we paradoxically want to live like every moment is our last, but also knowing that we have many more chances to do it. And when you do that, it puts a lot of reverence in for the moment, but it takes the pressure of having to figure it all out right now and needing everything right now. And that's this compulsiveness that I think brings us a lot of anxiety when it comes to these, this perception of scarcity. Well, I think that directly connects to the topic of today, which is enlivening abundance in people's lives. And with that, I know with your course, like you've laid it out 
I can't wait to see the full thing and, yeah. and just hearing, hearing you go through this journey has been incredible. And I know in the course, like you, you separate it through, I don't know if you want to say stages or steps yeah. or, or tenants. And with the time that we have now, I'd love to transition into that and, and hear some of these different stages that people can apply to invite in more of that abundance, that true abundance uh, into their life. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, just, you know, when I was thinking on this, this abundance path, it made me look at the word wealth and wealth etymologically comes from well-being and well-being comes from wheel and wheel comes from chakras or the literal energy centers of the wheels of energy in our body. <laughs> so I was, uh -huh. I just was going through all this stuff and realizing, okay, real wealth means we have well-being. So abundance is wealth and well-being and well-being coming from wheel means that it's about having reciprocity. It's not so much about our net worth, but our net impact and how we're giving and receiving in community and creating products that are actually serving the future, having a seven generational return. And at the same time, we have to take care of the energy centers of the wheels of our body. We have to be fully embodied to be able to do that. And so what I created was eight steps to mastery after spending thousands and thousands of hours trying to figure out how do I integrate all of this Wall Street stuff with all this stuff from this, uh, this other field. I wanted to create eight simple steps that could apply to anybody in any field. And it happens that they actually follow the chakra systems. And I based them off of the eight limbs of Ashtanga yoga, which is basically what yogis had been doing for tens of thousands of years to create mastery and abundance. And it's literally our birthright. Our ancestors were doing it. This is what it actually means to be human. And it's actually like getting back to the future of going back to what was it that we've been doing for thousands of years to create perfection and mastery and then bringing it into our daily life. So I'll just take you through a little bit of the steps and we can talk about how those applied to me on Wall Street, how they could apply to me now or in any, any of the other various fields. Hell yeah, let's go. One of the most common questions that I've gotten in being a new dad has been, what if anything has surprised me? about fatherhood. And the one thing that keeps coming up is just how healing it's been for parts of me being a dad. And when I look at Luca, and I'm looking at him right now as I'm recording this, when I look at Luca, I'm reminded when I hold him especially, I'm reminded of the childlike innocence and purity that is children. And how beautiful that is and how that is in all of us. But unfortunately, due to the stories that we've taken on, oftentimes from family or from society or from religion, oftentimes these stories can build up and they can get in the way of that childlike innocence, that purity, that beautiful aspect, our natural innate essence. And unfortunately, many of those stories aren't ours to begin with. I'm not good enough. I'll never be perfect. I'm afraid of failing. I'm afraid of being rejected. All of these stories, they've began somewhere. And in the men's work that we do, that's that's a big part of what we, we strive to create is a, is a safe container for men to come together, be around other men that don't expect anything from them. And in their own time and in their own way, the awareness and if they're ready and willing and able to go into some of these stories and, and set some of them down so that they can create a greater sense of internal freedom, 
a greater sense of love and connection with themselves and the outside world. And so if you're a man and this resonates with you and you would like to hop on a call with me, a coaching call, and to see if you're a good fit for the retreat, head on over to mikesalemi.io. We'll hop on a call. You'll have access to my calendar there. And also we have two events happening, one on April 29th, which is a one-day men's event in Northern California. And then we have the Larger Men of Movement Retreat from June 8th through the 11th in Mount Shasta, California. If either of those feel like a good fit for you, let's hop on a call. I hope to hear from you soon. Now let's get back to the show. Yeah. So the the first one is you have to do what you love to do. You have to do what you love to do. All of the great masters in any field from Paul Tudor Jones, who was a partner of mine for 15 years and one of the greatest investors of all time to Bruce Lee, to Paul Check, whoever you want to name, they all have surrendered to their passion. It's not labor for them. It's a sustainable labor of love. They absolutely love what you do. If you want to be the best, if you want to be a great, you know, if you want to be a great painter and your parents tell you, well, in our family, Mike, we have to be either a doctor (laughs) or a lawyer. And you go to become a doctor because it seems like, you know, out of obligation and because it seems like the easier route because you don't like reading so many law books. So you become a doctor. You're never going to be the one who's like, curing cancer or on the cutting edge of medicine. You're going to be going in and punching in your clock and going out after, you know, doing the, 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 the minimum amount of work. You're never going to really be actually pushing the envelope of yourself or of your industry. But if you've always wanted to be a doctor, if it's your life's passion, if, if the process of healing and helping and studying and learning anatomy and the body and all these things is your life's passion that you've been, that's been driving through you, that pulse, like that rhythm and that magic like was pulsing through me you're likely going to be a master at it and be successful. So this is developing your Kung Fu, your Mm. unique approach to mastery for yourself, right? And so a lot of the things in this, there's a lot of exercises in this area, some of which we already did, which was finding those keys that were there in our childhood dream and our earliest childhood memories. What do we love to do when we were seven years old? If we asked ourselves today, if we were only to live one more week, what would we want to do? What would be most important to us? And those are the kinds of things that can help cultivate the things that we love to do and bring in this kind of passion to our work. But that is the most important step, getting an intention about what we want to do, finding something that is really truly meaningful and purposeful to ourselves, working on our unconscious belief systems and setting our morning ritual around creating that vibe for ourselves. When someone's creating that morning ritual, uh, what might be something that you'd recommend? Um, you know, I know you touched on it a little bit, but are there any like a, a one or two keys that you've learned for your morning rituals yeah. that have been supportive? Totally. Yeah. I mean, there's so many. I mean, I'm sure you, yeah. you, you could probably write a book on them yourself, you know, <laughs> but some of the ones that I put on my course, and we could talk about, talk about this for probably five hours, but one, <laughs> one is notice and recording, recording your dreams at night. Okay. You know, we, we're, we're living in a world of artificial intelligence that's getting exponentially more advanced and exponentially more prevalent in our life, right? If you don't know about chat GPT and all these things, it's like you, you probably haven't been paying attention because there, it's, I don't even like go on the internet that much for those kinds of things. And, and you know, I'm seeing like little artificial intelligences jumping into my Zoom chats where people are having like OtterBox capture what we're saying. I'm like, this is getting crazy already, right? So in this course, before we get into these eight steps of mastery or just taking a step back, 
We develop our unique process and our unique competitive edge to business. What is it that makes you great? What it is that what is it that makes the Path Podcast different from every other podcast? You know, what is it? What is your unique strategy for your business and also your life? What diet, exercise, all of these things? We're developing your competitive edge to work in life. There's a lot more steps to the process, but bringing it back to mastery and dreaming and this morning ritual, we must get back to what is the competitive edge of being human? Hmm. What is it that makes us innately special as human beings and different from AI? AI is incredible at left brain logical linear analysis, computing large stuff. And we have that capability, but nowhere (laughs) near what they have, right? And so we can't play their game. We have to play our game. When I was doing a persistence hunt in Africa, hunting with um, the San Bushmen, they figured out over thousands of years that they can actually uh, beat an animal in endurance running, but never in a sprint. So they set up their whole vibe of hunting on having these multiple marathon races after animals because animals have to stop the pant. They can't sweat to release the heat, right? So they knew their competitive edge. As humans, we have 5 billion years of evolution pumping through our bodies. We have the wisdom of our body. Only like 10% of our information is coming from what we're speaking and 90% is coming from our body's information. And I get into that deep in this course, the art of stalking yourself, using your body as your ally, using your body as your investment ally and tools to bring things into your awareness because it has way more information than you know. It has 5 billion years of market research, right? (laughs) Two, the intelligence of your heart. Your heart, if you study heart math, has so much wisdom you know, future prediction, discernment, connection, connecting to infinite intelligence. You know, there's, there's all these research with, with heart math on the heart where they, they flip over a card that they, they show somebody like a really negative picture or a positive picture, like a train wreck or like a mother breastfeeding a child. And they're, they're, the people are connected to these sensors and they can, you know, measure heart rate variability and, and things like that. And they see that before they flip over the card, the heart already picks up on if it's a positive or a negative card up to five seconds before they flip it over. Oh, wow. And even in, ter- in times of like these major global events, like September 11th or Princess Diana's death, they have these random number generators around the, the globe in various situations that are, are, are ticking, you know, completely random zeros and ones. And they see that at the times of these great global sort of catastrophes or major events, that these random number generators that are placed all around the globe actually go into coherence sometimes up to two to three hours before the event actually happened. Two to three hours before the plane hits the World Trade Center, the, num- the, the random number generators are going into coherence, sensing that something's happening. And this is, this is proven by, by science, right? So back to this, it's like using the intelligence of our heart. And then the reason why the morning heart rate is, uh, the morning recording your morning dreams are important is because that's our real, that's the official intelligence, is our dreaming. We have the power to dream. We can go to bed at night for eight hours, close our eyes, completely check out, and wake up in the morning with clues on how to live our life and our work better. And nobody taps into that. It's right there for us. When someone's recording their dream, whether it's written or like in an audio, 
Are there any, uh, I know this is a really deep topic, so I just want to be mindful how deep we go into it. But that being said, are there any, so someone records their dream, like it's, because that's something I haven't done in a long time and only did it for a short amount of time. I imagine that the dreams communicate through symbolism and through yeah. representation. So are there some, are there any insights that you can give for yeah. someone like basic fundamentals to help interpret? That would be really helpful. For sure. So, and, and the, you know, it, it, it's difficult because to go real deep, you, you need to work maybe with something like myself or a process worker or a Jungian analyst or whatever. But the way that I lean, I laid out in, in the course is this first, before you go to bed, say to your unconscious, say, I am ready, willing, and able to remember and record my dreams. Make a commitment that you actually can do it. Tell yourself, hey, I want to do this. <laughs> so, you, so you can actually engage in remembering and, and know that it's sort of like going to the gym. The more okay. you do it, the easier it gets. I, huh. I thought I was somebody who, who didn't dream, you know, and then all of a sudden <laughs> I start telling myself this and I'm having like three recordings a night, you know, and I'm, you know, after like a month of doing it. So we're all dreaming. It's just about making the intention to do it. With dreaming, there are other factors like, you know, if you're medicating yourself or, you know, you know, really high or drinking a lot or not getting to sleep on time or a crappy diet, it actually can cloud that, which I know is not the case for you. But if you're taking care of yourself, you go to sleep on time and you tell yourself, my intention is to remember your dreams. That's the first step. The next thing is, is keep a journal or like a voice memo recorder next to your bed because you want to record it first thing in the morning when you get up. Once you start walking around and your waking brain comes on, you can lose that dreamy state. It's like, what was that? I don't remember. And, and so first thing before you get out of bed, write down your dream or record a quick snippet into a voice recorder. Then when you, when you go back and look at the dream, some simple tips that you can do on yourself would be, if I had to title this like a movie, what would I call this dream? What would the movie title be? Who are the key actors? What are the key roles, right? What are the key symbols? You can do little pop-up associations and thinking like, what's the first thing that comes to my mind when I think of this key symbol? Maybe there's a car in, in the dream. Maybe there's a house in the dream. What's the first thing that comes into my mind right now when I say the word car? That's a pop-up association. But basically you title the dream, you look at the key roles, you look at the key players. You wanna focus on something that's particularly curious to you. Like even if you just remember a snippet, something that's just like, I don't get that. What is that one? Or that has high energy. Remember that everything in the dream is a part of your life. We often talk about, um, oh, that was a bad dream. Right. Just like people say, oh, that was a bad trip. Right. Well, no, everything is there is showing you something for yourself. So if you're being chased by a monster in a dream, ask yourself, where am I being chased by a monster metaphorically in my life? Or flip it around. And where do I need to harness a little bit of that monster energy? Where do I need to be a little bit more aggressive or tougher? Or, you know, the essence of what's behind the monster, a little bit, maybe a little bit more primal, right? And so those are just some, some key quick tips. And then you just take that into your day and you notice if any of the, the dream unlocks any information for your day, or if your day unlocks any information of your dream and you just start to develop that kind of relationship. That's super helpful, man. And very practical. Thank you for, yeah. for sharing that. I'm going to, I'm going to be doing that. So I'll keep you posted on that. <laughs> I'll just say one more thing. I don't want to get carried away on this, but like for people that don't dream at night, that don't remember their dreams, remember that your life is a living dream. Anything that catches your attention, you're driving down the road and you, and an animal catches your attention, a flower catches your attention, a person, a song pops into your head, 
a body symptom, a weird gesture, any synchronicity, a fantasy, a flirt. All of those things are momentary versions of dreaming at night while they're in the day. And all of those can be explored more deeply as part of the same experience. Why did that object catch my attention? What was it about the color, the size, the texture, the shape? Why would, I why would that catch my attention now? What's that meaning for me in my life now? How does that change my life? How is that needed in my relationships? How is that needed in my work? There's a lot there. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot there. Well, Jay, thank you for sharing that yeah. and bringing it back to, you know, those eight steps that you've developed. Yeah. You had shared the first one about following your passion or doing something that you love. Yeah. What would be step number two? Step two is embodiment. And then you, you know, you're the master of this one, but it's essentially checks, Paul checks four doctors, right? Mm. You got to do what you love to do. And then you got to take care of your body. I don't care if you're an athlete, a parent, a Wall Street investor anybody, you have to take care of the four doctors. The four doctors being doctor diet, taking care, you know, knowing what's the right diet for you. What fuel do I need? You know, obviously there's a lot of tips there on, you know, highest quality of food and organic and, but ultimately it's like finding out what diet works best for you. There's hundreds of thousands of diet books out there and there's more obese people than ever. The reason being is because what worked for anybody else who wrote that book is not the book written for you. You need to write your own diet book and know what works for you. You need to know what kind of exercise routine you need to support your life and your goals, whether or not it's playing with your kids or being a world-class athlete or being a Wall Street investor. You have to take care of your body, balance working out with working in. You have to know how much sleep you need and get an appropriate amount of sleep so you can perform at your best and you're not relying on energy drinks and caffeine, to, which are gonna disrupt your you know, mental emotional state just to stay awake right? And you have to have fun and playing in your life where life gets too dry and boring and stressful, right? So those four things in this uh, second step are, 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 the, are, are the next level. And, you know, as we're working up the chakra system, the one, the do what you love is the root. And now we're in that second chakra where we're creating all of our sexual energy, all of our creative potential to do what we want in our life. Okay. All right. I'm with you. And, and with that, uh, and I know you're saying these are steps. And so just to, for clarification to you, each one builds on the other. So just like the chakra system, you would first focus on what your dream is, what you yeah. love, what you want to do. And then from there, create the embodiment yeah. practices to uh, create the energy, the creative energy to yeah. sustain that and yeah. bring that to life. Is that right? Yeah. To know, you know, what are we working for? Right. Mm. Like, where are we going? Why are we eating this way? Why are we going to sleep at 930? when I want to watch another episode of Yellowstone or something like that. It's like, because my dream is to be the best in the world at what I do. And I need to go to bed at 9.30 to do it. And that's so pivotal because I think me and you were talking when we were chatting about what we wanted to go into the other day on today's show. And, uh, and that's a big reason why this, this show is called The Path. And you know, anytime that we are following someone else's footsteps, we are not following our own path. Yeah. And so I love that that is the first step because it is, it is our unique story that we get to bring to life. And that is one of the most beautiful mysteries and, and most beauties about being human today. You know, the, the Native American culture talks about <clears throat> the black road and the red road, mm. the black path, we could say, and the red path. You know, I'm not an expert on this, but the idea being that the black road is, is let's just say, somebody else's path and the red road or the road of our true purpose. When we know we're walking the, the, the great red road, 
we're on purpose with our life and we're doing what we love to do. And it's a fulfilling life. And that's, that's I think, the path that, that we're talking about here. Hell yeah. yeah. So Beautiful. after the first two, you do what you love to do and you, you nourish your body with what it needs. We get to the third step, which is posture. What I realized, which not many people pay attention to on Wall Street, was that if I want to perform at my best, I have to have really good ergonomics. I need to know how to set up my desk. You know, what's the right height for my chair? What's the right height for my desk? Can I, my desk go up and down? It's about having variety and optionality. What's the right height and angle for my monitors? Where should my keyboard be? Why did I do all this? For a couple of reasons. One, we need to have proper posture to have optimal breathing. And oxygen and optimal breathing is the platform for doing anything at its best. From kettlebells to parenting to investing to any sport, you have to be able to breathe. To make the change you want to make in your life, the change state versus the habitual state, the, change, the state you're in versus the state you want to go to, requires four times more oxygen. The best gift you can give yourself is more oxygen. And so... Learning how to set yourself up, set yourself up for success, whether or not you're driving in your car or commuting or holding your child or doing an, uh, an exercise or sitting at your desk, you have to have good posture. You know, many of us are sitting at our desk for long periods of time. We need to learn how to be at our desk, to be comfortable, to be in a state of ease, in a state of levity instead of being pulled down by gravity. It's a very dynamic thing. It's sitting up versus sitting down. It's actually like a gravity line awareness, you know, more like an Eldoa exercise where you're very mindful of how you're sitting and you have deep awareness and, and deep awareness of where you are in space, setting up all of your monitors and, and, and equipment in the right way so that you can breathe optimally. That's such a key point. And it's also a metaphorical level of, in our solar plexus, what do we stand for? What are our deepest values? What are we willing to stand up for and what are we not, right? So there's a lot kind of in this section and there's a lot of deep exercises about learning about how to act as if, you know, act as if like, you know, when we're, how to take on somebody else's posture even. You know, if we're going to go walk into a, a meeting and we want to ask for a raise and we're walking in all sinking, we're probably not going to get it. But if we walk <laughs> in, you know, with our chest out, we're, we're, we're that much more confident. But in, in the same way, we can think of somebody who actually could do what we're trying to do better than us and then take on their posture and their way of thinking. And I have some exercises for doing that too. So there's a lot of different varieties of posture, but in, in its essence, it's that we need to learn how to breathe properly in our surrounding. Back pain is the killer of productivity. It's the killer of our mental emotional state. It saps our, our not only productivity, but it, 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 it encourages absenteeism or we're missing work because our back is killing us. And all that. So that's a really essential step there. I appreciate that. And I think you'll get a kick out of this. So I'm a part of this uh, monthly men's group as a, as a participant to, for, to get my own support. And in this last month, one of the things that we did is we, we brought out and acted out to our small group an occurring worldview that, that tends to hold us back. And so I wanted to go into money stories. Mm. And it's direct in alignment with what, what we're saying and what we're talking about right now. And so after I was able to actually act out what that feels like and looks like in my body through the sound, then the second and through the body movements, then the second half of that was actually like embodying uh, what do I want to be or what's now possible. And so the 
affirmation that I said verbally, and then the whole process was acting it through the body is that I'm a world-class gangster with money. And so I walked around the room of all the guys and, and acted out what that feels like and looks like. And then they provide feedback and ask me to go deeper. But part of the home, the only homework assignment this month until the next meeting has been in our life to tune into that energy and actually embody that more on a daily basis. So maybe walking with a little bit of a swagger at times. And I've just been cracking up uh, when I've been doing it. And it's brought more levity to this old occurring worldview that I'm transmuting right yeah, now. That's really powerful. Very good exercise. <laughs> yeah. So just, just for time, I, I just kind of go to the next one because Please, I, yep. I know, uh, I know short, short and sweet is, is more powerful for the audience. So we'll try to deliver in concise way as possible, but the fourth step is, is coherence, getting into the heart, right? Now that we're doing what we love to do, we're deeply embodied with our four doctors. We have right posture. We can control our breathing through breath work, which you know a lot about, to get into a state of mind, body, and heart coherence. And we've already talked about the, powerful, the, the, the power of our heart through the, the research of heart math and how that can get us into a more productive state where we're not only in touch with our values, but we have access to so much more information, which can inform all of our life. So this is finding what breathwork works right for us. What kind of brainwave state are we trying to get into? Are we trying to hyper self up for a lift? Or are we trying to get into a, a state of deep flow and focus or meditation? And adjusting the breath, you know, the respiration rate, how many breaths per minute, how many seconds in, how many seconds out, how much hold, all of, all of the different variables to fine tune and breathe appropriately for the moment and get into that deeper heart space and access the wisdom of our body. <laughs> so that's in the fourth chakra in the heart. And then we move up into the throat, the fifth chakra. And it's this idea of centering or turtling. We have so many distractions in our world. You know, when I'm there on Wall Street, there's four screens in front of me. There's multiple TVs. There's like squawk boxes and phones ringing and cell phone and <laughs> work phone and people around me and people yelling. Right. And, you know, like our life is filled with this from Twitter to Instagram, to emails and text messages and people at our door. We must become absolute defenders of our time mm. and our priorities. Peter Drucker says, first things first, second things never. We must be ruthless defender of the first thing at all times. Right. So this is part of getting into that flow state. It's like, telling your family even, hey, I got to go into my office for two hours. Give me these two hours. I can get five times more work done in, in these two hours if I have completely siloed and not distracted than I could if, if you know, you're coming in and out or if you know, there's a million other things. And then I'll have a lot more time to be with you for the rest of the day. So this is about the idea that oftentimes we look at little distractions. Oh, it'll only take me one minute to answer this text message. But the idea is not how long it takes me to, to do that task, how long it takes me to get back into the flow. Like when we're doing this podcast at the beginning, you know, we're starting, we're talking, we're kind of getting into the groove. And then there hits a point like 30 minutes in when we don't even realize we're podcasting anymore. It's just like you're here in front of me and we're having a conversation, right? <laughs> right the whole right. camera disappears. But if I went out to the bathroom right now, you know, hey, this only takes me a minute. And then I come back. It might take at least 20 minutes or so to get back into that groove. So this is really being fully present and centered with what exactly what we're doing in the moment and eliminating everything that's unnecessary, 
eliminating all distractions and really putting our whole heart and mind into the present moment. And there's a lot of exercises you can do, like, you know, tracking where your time goes. We all track our money, right? Hey, where's my money going? I'm looking at my credit card. Oh, I spent $20 on an Uber. I spent this and that, you know, but you can spend money and get back more money in a return. It's called an investment, you know, but once <laughs> you spend your time, it's gone. Huh. It's gone. Time right. is our biggest asset. Time is our biggest asset. And we must defend our time and distractions kill that, right? So th this whole area is what to say no to, using our throat to say no and establishing ourselves in our center. I appreciate that, yeah. man. And, and hear, hearing that, <laughs> and I know the, the first one following your dream and your passion is step one. But if anyone took any one of these steps that you've said, like if I just focused even more on that one step, life would completely change. Yeah. You know, and so every single one of these steps is hugely important. So yeah, keep going, brother. Yeah, and these are not easy for me either. I just want to tell you guys, I mean, like <laughs> I developed these steps as, you know, and I'm learning from them as I created this course. I mean, Mike, you and I went on that, that sacred hunt with, uh, with Monsell and my brother and a few other great guys, Dr. Nathan Riley and my buddy Adler and all, you know, a good crew. And it was only on that, that medicine journey under the pecan tree that I started to see this map coming into me of all of these things creating. And, and I've actually had to live this and become this and learn from the course itself as I'm creating it. I realized in that moment on that trip is that this is not my course. The abundance archetype is the CEO. I'm the employee. It's her dream. It's her eight steps. She unfolded them to me and showed me what was possible. And I'm just putting the pieces together and figuring them out and still trying to do these things myself. You know, I'm just like everybody else. I could easily get distracted by an Instagram or a text message or anything, but I have to remind myself each day, what is your dream? Take care of your body. How are you set up in your posture? Follow your breathing, get in your heart and eliminate distractions. That dream under that tree, um, what, what really came up is like you're getting out of your own way. Yeah. And you're just allowing it to flow through you. And actually a question that I had written down before we, we hopped on was, and you answered it earlier, but it's really coming through right now is, is there an element associated with this abundance archetype? And I imagine it's all of them, but you really spoke to the, the, the water element yeah. and water flows, water moves. And so yeah. under that tree, that dream to get out of your own way, I can see how pivotal that was. It really is true. You know, it's, it's the art of sailing versus the art of rowing. Hmm. It's actionless action. It's way woo way, right? It's going, cutting with the grain or going downstream instead of upstream, right? You know, when we went on that hunt, I don't know if we talked about this in the last time, but I had talked to a Vedic astrologer before we went and Monsal had actually changed the date because it was supposed to be a few weeks later. And he had uh, one of his, one of his, I think his best buddy was getting married. So he asked us if we can come, I think it was in late October that we went. And the astrologer said, look, this is not actually a conducive time astrologically to go hunting. It's huh. a good time for personal transformation <laughs> but it's actually like the position of Mars, which is like the aggressive planet that would be a, a more conducive time to go out and hunt something was in a very weak position. So I just said, okay, yeah, well, it's whatever, you know, I, I can't change the trip. I mean, it's just like, it's just Mars, you know, what, what, <laughs> what is that going to do? It's only this huge planet circling us, you know, driving all of our 
subconscious instincts and all of our actions and, and delivering us these parcels of karma. I mean, one of my teachers, Jeffrey Armstrong, talks about that the planets, he calls them universal parcel system. It's UPS, that the planets are circling us and at, at particular times in their right formations, they're delivering us parcels of karma and cause and effect that we've accrued over life and creating a lot of the environment for how we're living. But so this, this Vedic astrologer said that this was not a very conducive time. And then what happens, we go on the hunt and we don't kill anything. Nathan takes three shots that go right over the deer's back. I have an opportunity right as the light's fading out and they're calling me off. So I realized that it was because we were not, we, we were going upstream. Hmm. We weren't sailing with nature. Nature was saying, hey, look, this isn't a good time. Mars is not in the right position. And when we got, we got what, we, what the astrology was, which was personal transformation, but we didn't actually get dinner. But that was a big key for me to real, realizing how important it is to work with what's happening. Go with the flow of nature and the elements and let it work for you instead of against you. And that has been a big part of this course. It's a very receptive, almost feminine approach to business. But in fact, it can bring so much more ease when you do the left brain logical work and then you let go and you get into a more receptive state and you're aware of how the cycles of the moon are working for you against you. The seasons, the planets, and all of these things. And it makes it a lot easier to actually be successful and abundant with a lot less energy. That's something that you and I have talked about and I was sharing with you, like myself included and many people listening, I imagine have more of a masculine approach to creating things in life. And that feminine aspect, that receiving, that uh, more effortless action, I think is, is there's massive room right now in society for us to impart more, bring in more of this feminine aspect. Uh, so you've gone through steps one through five yep. and that fifth step is around creating those boundaries for yep. yourself and speaking. Uh, now we've got three more. So three what's more. next? Yeah. So we, we go to six, it's open focus or, or what mm. I call special eyes. It's that we go up in, into our sixth chakra and we're up into how do we pay attention to things? And I've studied open focus and I'm certified in that. And what they say is that how we pay attention to something is more important than what we are paying attention to. We could, be, we could be watching something that's very disturbing. We could be in a painful situation. But how we pay attention to it actually can create what state we're in, more so than what we're paying attention to. So what they say is that we have, we have typically we're locked into one style of focus, which they call narrow and objective. We're looking at one thing. We're looking at an iPhone. And we're analyzing something on there and we're, we're excluding everything out, everything else out. And we're completely objectifying and analyzing the information. But what they talk about is that there's actually four different components to focus and that real successful people and real masters use attentional flexibility, which means just like we have to show up appropriately with our breath for the moment, we can show up appropriately with our, our attention. And so there's narrow focus and then there's diffused. So narrow is zooming in right on you right now. And diffuse is I'm aware of my entire environment. I can see you here. I can notice the space between me and you and the screen. I notice the space to my peripheral behind me, above me, below me. I can hear noises outside. I can feel and sense my body right now. And I'm, not, I'm putting equal weight on all of those. I'm noticing the space between my nose and the screen the space between my ears and my head, 
the space in my entire body, right? And so that gives you a complete different perspective. It actually can put you into more parasympathetic state. The narrow is like more of an emergency and running from a lion state, a sympathetic state. And diffuse is more parasympathetic when we attend to space. At the same time, we can have an objective focus where we're analyzing something and then a more of an immersed focus where we're, we're like being moved or we're like feeling the music inside of us, moving our body and through a dance instead of thinking about, oh, this is like 85 beats per minute or something, you know, really thinking about what kind of style or genre or music it is. Instead of thinking about, should we be dancing right now or should we be eating this piece of chocolate? We're just becoming the chocolate. It's a sensual moment, right? And so not any of those are actually bad. Right. Okay. It's just that we're locked into one style. So what I teach here is how martial artists and even great investors and all people, even to dissolve painful experiences in their life, like body pain or things that are uncomfortable, can use these things to attend to, attend to what's happening differently and use it to their advantage. And this is how people, you know, top athletes that cre- they get into flow states really can use these things very well. You know, think, think if you're a martial artist, there's a moment when you're there and you're, you're facing your opponent when you want to be very diffused. You want to sense what's happening in your body. You don't want to be thinking you're going to be doing one particular thing. You want to be surveying the surroundings. You're watching your opponent. You're, wa- you're taking in as much information as possible. And then as you get closer to the moment of strike, you become more narrow and narrow in. And then all of a sudden the person makes, makes the move. You're using narrow objective focus. And then there's a moment of immersion where you're just going through you know, complete muscle memory and you know, doing the correct move or counterattack. But then you don't want to stay in that state. You want to move back into that more diffuse and open state. So learning how to play with these in our life, and I take you through exercises, can be very useful for performance and feeling better. Beautiful, man. That's something that I relate to so much and, and have so many memories in, in kettlebell lifting specifically, or anytime the athletic component. And that's where I really think what I've learned in the gym and what anybody, you know, can learn through fitness and through moving their body in these ways that can, and oftentimes do have transfer into these other areas and that open focus. I don't think I've heard it described like that by any means, especially to that depth. So that's absolutely an area I'm excited to go into with the program, man. That's awesome. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. And then we go into seven, which is altering your state. Okay. Losing, losing your mind to find your genius. Mm. So we, 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 you know, Mike, you have a lot of experience in altered state work, right? But this is how do we find altered state or access non-ordinary states of consciousness while we're at work or while we're performing or while we're doing anything mm. without using substances, right? Substances are great, but we shouldn't have to rely on them to access altered states. And so I give what I call microdose meditations, little things you can do for one or two minutes at, at your desk to kind of get into these altered states, to have these inspirations of these creative moments, which can then inform your process. Altered states could be these like kind of hyper states where we can get access to a lot of information and see things from a completely different perspective, which are really helpful if we ever get stuck on a life challenge or a problem or have a difficult situation. Entering into an altered state through various exercises that can take one or two minutes and see the world differently and then go back to our ordinary consciousness and complete the project. With that altered state, would you mind giving an example briefly of one uh, tool that someone might be able to do in like a minute or two? Is that possible? Of course. Yeah, I could give you a couple, but you know, just real quick without walking you through the exercise. Yeah. 
let's say you have a difficult problem or, or a difficult challenge or you, an investment you're stuck on. Mm-hmm. Think about that challenge and just go take a walk out in nature for five minutes and see what the first thing is that calls to you, mm. that grabs your attention. Maybe it's a rock, maybe it's a twig, maybe it's an animal, maybe it's a piece of trash. It could be literally anything. And then sit there for a moment and just reflect on why that particular object? What is it about that, you know, the size, the shape, the texture, the color? Why that object? Why did that actually grab me? Why did that pull me? And what might that have to do in terms of what my challenge is? You know, another one could be, could be literally, I mean, we, we've done, there's so many, Mike, you've I've done these together. You could just think of what's the first song that pops into my head right now. <laughs> Feel that song in my body. Yeah. What's the, the rhythm and the message of that song? What's the essence of that song? How does that have to do with, with this process that I'm trying to solve? You can take three random objects on your desk and just create something with them. You know, make a little sculpture, take a pen and a cup and something and make a little figure and then look at that and say, if I was going to look at me through that eyes, what would I see about this problem? And it just goes on and on and on. But those kind of like little, little microdose meditations, as I call them, little ways to be creative. You can take a piece of paper, think about your challenge and just do a one-line drawing, like a scribble on a piece of paper mm-hmm. and then look at it and see if you could like draw it out a little bit more, amplify it, maybe make a face or ears or arms and make it into like a little character. And then ask the same question. If I was going to look at myself through the eyes of this character I just drew, what might I say about this problem I'm facing? And you'd be amazed at how much information you can get from just being willing to drop out of this ordinary state. And the only thing you need is to have a childlike mind. You have to ha- be, be willing and, and open to have wonder and you know, just surprise and curiosity. And if you can do that, you can be grabbing the tail of a big creative process. It's like, it might just be just that enough for that eureka moment, that f- sudden flash of insight that can take you to the next level. Just to open up a new perspective. That's- just like, just catching a tail. You're yeah. just like, just grabbing <laughs> it, right? It's just like the hair of, of the big thing, but it's enough to start unraveling it and opening up to something bigger. Incredible, man. Incredible. Yeah. So we're at the final step number eight. What's step yeah. number eight? <laughs> yeah. So eight, we're in the flow state. You know, we've done all of the hard work. We're fully embodied. We're doing what we love to do. We're, we're eating right. We're sleeping right. We're moving right. We're having play in our life. We've got great posture. We're breathing right. We're accessing the wisdom of our heart. We're eliminating distractions. We're attending to life appropriately through our attentional flexibility. We're altering our state and using that effectively to have creativity. And then we're in the flow state. We're in this state where now we're performing and feeling at our best. We're doing what we love to do at our absolute best, right? And we're, you know, research is showing that you're five times more productive in these states than you are when you're not. You have more access to creativity, more access to innovation, uh, imagination, and you, it's actually good for you. You feel better and it's good for your immune system and a lot of other systems too. It actually releases tons of androgynous uh, hormones and chemicals that are like the same as like smoking pot or, you know, doing DMT or doing these various things. It's like, there's actually, we are encouraged. Our bodies love this state. This is why we feel so good when we're in the flow. Like time dilates. We, we, we're there and we don't even know that time passes by or it slows down. You know, it's full of richness because we are encouraged. Our bodies want this. This is what we're designed for. So now we, we literally have the, the abundance archetype, this vision of abundance 
or whatever we're trying to create, whether or not it's the athlete or the musician or the mother or the father, we become the instrument. It flows through us. We become this open vessel where now we're co-creating with the archetype, with this great organizing motif or this vision of who we want to become, and it's flowing through us. There's a lot of other exercise at this, at this uh, step too that we probably won't have time to go into, like working with your inner critic. And I saw you put up something cool about that on your Instagram the other day, but it's about harnessing the power of your inner critic, mm. not just trying to shut it off. What if that inner critic might actually have a message for you or has something that you can use? You know, turning an inner critic into an inner coach, I think, as you put it, is spot on. How to work with the challenge, the skills ratio, you know, in, in this section, it's all about continuously pushing yourself. We actually don't get life satisfaction from having easy wins. Mm. If I was going to have a kettlebell competition with you, it wouldn't make you feel good to beat up on me, uh, you know, or a Bulgarian bag, <laughs> right. right? But if you were going up against like, you know, Ivan and Bulgarian bags or somebody, even if you lost, knowing that you were challenging yourself against somebody who was better, that actually is what feels good. It's life is not about winning. It's about learning and growth and challenging yourself. So committing to this kind of being comfortable with the uncomfortable and systematically pushing yourself. And then finally, this idea of deep democracy. Deep democracy is that everybody deserves a seat at the table. Mm. Every part of ourself, ordinary consciousness, non-ordinary consciousness, dreaming, waking, living dream, daydream, night dreams, Right? nightmares, body symptoms, everything deserves a seat at the table. Every part of us has a voice that counts and every part of our organization has a voice that counts. Maybe not all in equal weight. You're not going to give the CEO and the, you know, the intern the same weight on a merger, but every one of those voices count. And just like in our body, to the, to the degree that we marginalize any one of the voices that I listed of our own body, it becomes like a little inner terrorist. The same thing happens with an organization. Anyone that's marginalized comes and, and bites you in the ass in some way or another. So being completely open to all parts of herself, all parts of our organization, working in a way that supports a seven generational return. So we're thinking about what's our impact for seven generations, leaving the world a better place and realizing that we're not truly abundant until everyone's abundant, working for the betterment of all. Man, I am so grateful. You know, we've known each other for a few years. I am so grateful that you are now stepping into this passion to share your life experience and everything that you've learned and invested in yourself. Like there could not be more, uh, in my eyes, more of a perfect thing for you to be doing with your life. And I know how much, I mean, it comes through so clearly in how I receive your words and I know how people are going to be receiving these words. And so I'm so grateful because really this, this abundance archetype and this, this eight step path to basically creating flow in life, I think is so, so, so needed. And it's coming from the depths of your heart. And that's how I'm receiving it. Thank you so much. I want to just say one thing to wrap that up. Yeah. To take it back to the beginning mm -hmm. in my childhood dream with the report card that we mentioned and focusing on getting good grades. And the one key thing that was missing in that dream was where's the teacher? Mm. And that was the mystery of what I had to become. And that's what I'm stepping into now in my life is becoming the teacher. And so it's all there in that dream. And so for me, that's, that was the big edge for me. My big life edge is 
yeah, you're a great student. Everyone says you're the best student. You got the best grades, you know, from Paul Chak to whomever. But can you be the teacher? And that's my edge, getting out of my comfort zone. And that's what, how this course helped me grow, was committing to say, you know what? If I really want to be who I want to be, I have to do what's missing in that dream. And that's becoming the wisdom teacher. And that's what I want to dedicate the rest of my life to. Ah, I love it, brother. I love it. And this program is coming out. And by the time we release this, it'll be coming out uh, soon after. And so where can yeah. people find information and, uh, and hop in this course? Yes. Thank you so much. I created a, such a badass course, man. <laughs> I'm so excited to share with you. I, I, I've rocked this thing with Freedom Builders. They're, they were so amazing. I shot this in my new beautiful home. I gave you guys an all access pass to see like behind the scenes, what it's really like to live with me. And, you know, from all the ups and downs and bloopers and my family, the best place to check this out right now is go to my Instagram, Jason Picard official. And on there, there's a link in my bio, or you can go to jasonpicard.org and download my eight keys to greater wealth and well-being. And this is a really awesome document. I think you've seen it, Mike, yep. where I laid out for free for you guys, eight things that you can do today to create greater wealth and well-being, and they track all of the eight steps in my course, all things I wanted to offer to the world that they can do right now without any money, without any other resources that you can put into your life now to start generating more abundance. And it follows the eight steps of the course. And once you download that, you'll be in my mailing list and you'll get information about the abundance archetype that's going to drop in May. So I'd love to hear from you. Check me out on Instagram. I'm putting out a lot of good content and feel free to message me. And I just, I'd love to watch your journey and be a part of it. And I hope you get a lot out of my my course. I know I have. I know everyone is, man. And and that PDF or that that download that you've created for people, it's fantastic, guys and gals. Like it's it's truly incredible. And there's a lot of value in there. So highly recommend go downloading that and uh, and check out Jason Picard Official on Instagram for sure. Cause what you're building, man, and, and the value that you're giving on your Instagram as you're growing it. It's really cool, brother. So thank you again thank you. so it's much. It's a process there. <laughs> <laughs> Always is. Yeah. Thank you hard so much. Hard to make much. everyone happy, but yeah, I'm trying real hard because it's really meaningful to me. You know, I didn't want to ever be on social media with just to, to scroll and be a voyeur and, you know, lose my time. Right. And I was really, I was really reluctant to even go on there, but I realized that, okay, I have a message to share. I'm going to put my heart and soul in it. And I spent a lot of time on the copy and the videos and I'm doing my best to have really well-produced stuff. So check it out. I'd love to hear what you think. And if you if there's something you'd love to see, let me know. Beautiful, brother. Thank you again, my friend. And have a beautiful day. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you. Love you guys. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow the podcast on Apple and leave a review. It means a lot. We all have a path. And I'd love to hear how this podcast has inspired you in some way to live yours. <laughs>